some of these uh, questions. I love these questions because these are all honest things. You don't have to worry about who's asking these kind of questions and stuff. Um, so thank you. Um, qualities for an associate doctor and recommendations to new doctors. That's a good question. So um, for an associate doctor, uh, I, I'm going to talk about associates the same way I would talk about like a peak intern. I, what I'm looking for is personality. Because um, I could train you do, doing a lot of stuff, but I can't train personality. If your personality doesn't match the kind of personality like we need in my office, I need bright, happy, bubbly, friendly, loving, uh, someone who will, is willing to really get on the floor with kids. That's the kind of personality I need. Um, now, and, but that's not that's for my office, right? We have a bubbly, friendly, happy office. You're a PI office. You need someone who's just going to be head down and go, you know, all day long. So it's a very different need. You know, so every doctor is going to need something very different. Um, uh, that's the first thing that I would look for. And the second thing, really, and to, for me, it's second, is technical skills. Um, you know, and that, once again, depends very much on the practice. Like, for me, activator is very critical, so I, I expect you to know activator. But if you're in a, going to a Gonstead office, you're going to have to make sure you know your Gonstead uh, or, you know, Thompson or whatever office you're looking for. So that's the key thing that I'm looking for. And I will tell you something. Here's the worst question to ask. Um, about uh, being an associate is like, how much am I going to make? Like, if your first question, I've had these, this happen to me, how much am I going to make? What's, what's, the, what's the starting salary? If that's your first question, I, you just ended the interview. Because, you know, you're going to get paid, you know, really well, uh, but that shouldn't be the first thing on your mind, right? And it should definitely be asked. It's not that it shouldn't be, because it's a very important thing, but make sure it's not the first question. Uh, because it, it looks like that's all you're interested in. And yes, I, I, everybody knows that you're, you know, have a zillion dollars in debt and stuff like that, but, uh, but that's not what it's about, right? It's about make, make sure you, you're the best foot forward is I want to serve, right? I want to serve. How can I serve you? What do you need from me? That's a great question to ask your potential associate or even peak doctor. What do you need from me? What can I do for you to help you to make your life easier? Right? That would be a really good, someone asked me that, I'd be like, you're in, <laughs> you're good. And recommendations to new doctors um, is, is um, probably the most important recommendation I give for a potential new doctor is be prepared to work. Uh, be prepared to work. Uh, because this is not going to be an easy journey. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 33 years, and I will tell you the way I've been successful especially is because when I first built the practice in New Jersey and then when I came down here and first built this practice, I worked seven days a week in the beginning for the first couple of years to get the ball rolling. Be prepared to work. Even as an associate, right? Be prepared to work your tail off because that's how you make, that's how you get the, the process going. And now that the process is going, I don't have to work as hard, right? Now, like once you have the snowball moving, it's easy to, once you have the momentum, right? But you gotta create, momentum isn't, won't just happen. You have to make it happen, right? So, so that to me is the most important thing is to make, you gotta make momentum happen. So be prepared, spend, whether you're a new doc or your associate or independent contract, whatever it is, be prepared to work. <clears throat> All right. So, question. What are ways you get pediatric patients into your new office just opening? All right, that's a great question. <clears throat> so, the ways that I would uh, get new patients, pediatric new patients, into my office is I would 
say to all my existing patients that I get, because in the beginning it's much easier just to, when you're first opening and you're just meeting all these different people, it's not as easy to get pediatric patients when you first walk in, but you get all the adults and they have kids. So what you do is you get all the adults in and then in the beginning, and I wouldn't do this forever, but in the beginning I would discount get bring all the kids in. So now that you're a patient, you know, let's, let's get your kids under care um, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll discount them to get under care for their first visit. You know, kind of thing. So normally the first visit is blank, and then we'll offer it for half of that, like this. So ask your existing patients. That's the best, best, best way. So you go out there and you do your screenings and you do your lectures and you do your Facebooks and you know all kinds of other stuff like that to, to get people in the door. But expect in the beginning, <clears throat> because before your reputation about pediatrics is there, expect mostly adults to come in, which is totally fine. But then you start immediately asking everybody to bring their kids in. And you know that every kid, like one, if one out of every four kids in the United States has asthma, allergies, autism, or ADHD. One out of four. So you know <laughs> that that means that every, every parent who has like, for let's say every two parents that have four kids, you know, at least one of them has got one of those things. So you should be able to get a lot, a lot of kids, you know, that way. But I would also recommend that you really start gearing towards pediatrics and make sure that a lot of your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, other kind of things are really pediatric centered. If you want to see kids in your practice, make sure your office looks like a pediatric office and that your advertisements are about kids. Excellent question. How do you pay student loans? That's a great question. So <clears throat> the way you pay student loans is, well, this is how, I'll just say how I did it. So when I first opened up my office uh, in New Jersey, um, I had no money. I had zero money, nothing at all. My parents were, I, I lived in a one bedroom apartment, so I had nothing, nothing, nothing. I borrowed furniture from my aunts and my uncles and my mom and my dad to open up my first office. So it, I had this hodgepodge living room looking office because that's all I could get. I couldn't afford any furniture. Um, so, and, but with the equipment that I bought, like x-ray and tables and I didn't believe it or not, in 1989, we didn't need computers back then. So all the other pieces like that, I had three credit cards that I, I had. So, uh, and, it, and I used the credit cards to, to kind of finance all these, these things. And I kept one of the credit cards and I cut up the other two. And then I, I decided I'm gonna pay the minimum on each credit card until, uh, and, and, and then if, when I made more money, I pay a little bit more, a little bit more. And I, my goal would be, I'm gonna pay the lowest amount of credit card off first. So let's say, just for an example, I had one credit card with $1,000 on it, one credit card with 5000 one credit card 10000 So I would pay for each, I paid my monthly payment for each one, but the $1,000 one, I would try to pay a little bit more on that one. I try to accelerate that one. And then when I paid that one off pretty quickly, then I would take the $1,000 I was paying to with that credit card and I put it onto the other credit card payment. And I pay that off as much as I could, as quickly as I could. Cause so, I'm, so I'm like, I'm always paying the minimum, but then I'm paying extra. So now I'm paying whatever it was amount for the $10,000 call, but now I'm, or $5,000 call, but now I'm paying $1,000 more every month. And then when I paid that one off, then what did I do? I took the money from both credit cards and put it to the big credit card. And then, so the, the, and that took me about a year to pay off those three credit cards. It took me about a year. And now, during the whole time, I'm paying my, the minimum amount I need as student loans. And now I got like $3,000, $4,000 a month 
<clears throat> that I was paying for those credit cards, what do I do with it? Student loans. So now instead of paying $600 a month on student loans, I'm paying $4,000 a month on student loans, right? Which is like, what is that, six times four? It's like some very large amount more. <laughs> Accounting is not my thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I put up my loans in, in 12 years. Uh, and so you can do that too. So you, you, take, you make the money work for you. Because what mo I'll tell you what most people do, okay? This is what most people do. They pay the, their, first, uh, student, uh, their first credit card loan off. Now they have $1,000 a month. What do they do? They buy a Mercedes. Stupid. You don't need a Mercedes when you're six months out. You don't need a Mercedes when you're six months out. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a great car. When you can pay for it in cash, that's how we buy cars. Boom. Here's the money. Here's the, like, that's, that's the way to do it. You buy it in cash. I want this car. Here it is. Bam. If you can't pay for something, this is just my philosophy with Lisa and I. If you can't pay for something in cash, then you don't buy it. You don't buy it. Except for a house, right? Houses are different. But if you can't pay for something in cash, then don't buy it. You can't afford it. So you're always putting money into something, into something. And, and now you know what we're doing? Aside from paying, like we're accelerating my, our house payments. So we're going to be done with our house payments. We, we refinance and it will be done in another year. So we had a 15-year a loan. We're going to be done in eight years because we're accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. But what we do with all this extra money, so once we paid off the student loans, guess where the money went? Saving, saving, savings, investing, investing, investing. So we took all this money that was paying off the student loans, and now we're throwing it into investments, right? And that's how, you, that's how you make a lot of money and save a lot of money in your lifetime, is you pay off your stuff first, you don't spend crazy money on Mercedes-Benzes and stuff like that, and then when, you're, when you have this extra money, you don't spend it, you put it into investments. Because there's way more, I'd rather have lots and lots of money in the bank than drive a car and have no money in the bank. Right? Good, very good question. How do you choose office staff and what do you look for? <clears throat> Just like, uh, um, choosing a, a peak intern in our office, we do the same way with our with with choosing staff. We go through multiple interviews, multiple, multiple, multiple interviews. So the first thing we do is like uh, we like going on Facebook because Facebook seems to produce a lot of good things. But you can do it in Indeed or whatever. Um, and we'll put an ad out on on Facebook. I will make people jump through hoops on Facebook. I'll say, number one. You've got to give me a resume. Number two, you've got to give me a cover letter. And number three, you've got to do it, you know, you've, you've got to um, fill out a couple of these questions because like Facebook has got these questions you've got to answer and stuff. The people who don't do all three things, do I call them? No. So I, I guess how many that weeds out? Most. So when Bailey, who works for, was working for us for over a year now, when she first applied a couple of years ago, um, uh, she was one of the few who made it through just that. And then we do a phone interview, and if I like them, then we do a Zoom interview, and if we like that, then we do a face-to-face -face interview. So I'm really putting them through the ringer, and I'm not, listen to this, guys, I'm not looking for experience. I don't want someone who says, oh, I've been working in Carpenter the office for 20 years. Oh, well, you probably do not want to work in my office. Because you've been working in a chiropractic office for 20 years, what does that probably mean? I'm set in my ways and I have ways to do it and they may not be my way, right? So I don't want that attitude in my office. I look for, once again, personality, right? 
because that person is going to be your front line. So you want the biggest personality as your front office person, not the person with the most experience. Okay. <clears throat> what to look for in an associate contract with the option of taking the practice over? Great question. Uh, most important thing about any kind of contract is if it's not written, it's not in there. Right? So uh, I hear all the time from, I've had, you know, interns, I've had almost 80 interns in the last 10 years or 12 years since I started the intern program. Um, and one of the biggest things I hear all the time is, oh yeah, the doctor's going to pay me bonuses and do this. All right, buy the practice. Da, 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 da. And I say, show me the contract. Come oh, he hasn't written up yet. Oh, he's got a little lawyer. Oh, it's, it's still that. Oh, I'm like, uh-huh. You know? So big talk, no action. Right? It's got to be in the contract. Uh, that's, that's a big thing. The number one thing for an associate contract is you need an escape clause. An escape clause. If you don't have an escape clause, you are locked in. That would be bad if, let's say, that place is not the place you thought it was. You need an escape clause. So whether it's you know immediate uh, release or a 30-day release kind of thing, but you've got to have that escape clause in there. Don't let, I've seen contracts where it says you are required to work here for one year, and then you can potentially choose to go. That is wrong. Because what happens this place is a bunch of shysters, criminals, insurance fraud, all that kind of stuff. You don't want to be associated with this kind of place. You want to get the heck out. So you want to make sure you absolutely have an escape clause, number one. Number two, if you want to buy the practice, you need to have what they call, <coughs> the, listen to this and write this down, right to first refusal. Right to first refusal. The right to first refusal means that if they are going to sell the practice, they have to talk to you first. That's what first refusal means. They have to talk to you first. So you do not sign this contract if they say, oh, yeah, you can, you're going to work for me for a year or two, uh, and then you can buy the practice. And then and I've seen this happen with interns, and I've had them call me crying, saying, I've been working here for two years, and I was a, you know, we were talking about buying a practice, and the next thing you know, he says, oh, here's Dr. So-and-so. They're buying the practice because they didn't have the right to first refusal in the contract. If you have the right to first refusal in the contract, then they have to talk to you first. Now, they may not want to sign, they may not want to give you an escape clause. They may not want to give you right to first refusal. Then guess what? You don't want to work there because what else are they going to not give you? And I can only tell you from personal experience, I worked for an, I was an associate for six months. It was the dumbest six months. It was, there was great things, but it was some dumb things too. And this one particular person, he was a very nice guy, but he kept on promising, 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 promising things that were not in the contract, and I never got any of the things that he said. And that's why I left after six months. Because it was, he was like, here's your contract, here's your base salary. Okay, that was, uh, it was good base salary. But it was a bonus, bonus, bonus. He said, oh, yeah, all these bonuses. And when, when are you going to put the addendum? I now, and then he never, and nothing ever came of it. So make sure it's, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen, right? So you absolutely make sure that's, that's in there. <coughs> Excellent question. <laughs> wow, okay. If you could only pick seven things for us to take away from this class, what would you pick? Seven things? Right. <clears throat> seven things. That's math. That's math. This is very hard for me. Okay, so... Okay. okay, I don't know if I can get you seven, but the, here's the most important things you should take away from this class. Number one is you are all going to be successful. That's the number one thing. You're all going to be successful 
if you go for it. If you go for it. Right? And you've got to go for it. Like I said, for your first couple of years, you better be sprinting. You better be in training right now. You better be doing your push-ups and sit-ups and meditating and everything else you have to do to get and eating right and exercising so that you are ready when you get out and you better be used to better start sprinting. Um, so you got no more you go for it. Number two is you better have discipline. Discipline is one of my favorite words. I hated it when I was a kid. I love it now. I have unbelievable discipline. Because what discipline is means that you do the right thing over and over and over and over and over again. I have been meditating every single day for like 30 some odd years. Every single day. My wife and I, we make sure we get a minimum 10,000 steps every single day, every single day. We, are, we constantly exercise. We're constantly out in nature. We're constantly reading good books. We're con we have discipline to do all the right things. But in the office, we have discipline to say the right things, to show up early. I'm at my office at 7 in the morning so I can meditate before I see patients. Staff doesn't show up till 8. So you, discipline is absolutely critical. And it's a huge missing ingredient that I see not just in you know, soon-to-be grads like you guys, but in people all over that they just can't keep a regular schedule, they can't keep discipline, they can't keep doing things over and over and over again because the way to success is doing like five or six things that are really good habits over and over and over again. And the way to failure is to not do those things, right? So that's, that's probably, what, probably the, the, the most important thing that I could teach you is, is, is discipline. And number three is... If you want to take care of kids, study kids. Like you could see by the articles that I show you, you know, all the time and all the things I'm talking about, that I'm constantly learning. At, at 33 years in practice, I'm constantly learning. So school didn't stop when I graduated. It started, right? So I constantly learn, learn, learn. I think those are, those are seven's too much. Three, three things are good. I could do three. Seven's too much. I got all these other questions. This I already kind of talked about. This I kind of talked about. Okay, so uh, like how to get people into your practice with like pricing and discounts and that kind of stuff. So here's my, my uh, great advice to you guys regarding this. So the way I started my practice in Jersey and the way I started here was I did a survey. I walked around business communities, not knocking on homes, but business communities, and I did a survey. And I would say to them, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Rubin, I'm opening up over here, you know, and blah, 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 and what do you think of this neighborhood? And you wouldn't do it when they're busy with the 10,000 people. You do it when they're, you know, in the early in the morning or, you know, right after lunch, you know, when it's a little lull. You do it these kind of times. And you have a clipboard and you write stuff down or you an iPad and you, you know, type stuff in. What do you think about this neighborhood? You know, what's, do you go to church around here? Or you go to, you know, temple or services or whatever? Do you belong to any organizations? You know, Rotary, Kiwanis, whatever, clubs, you know, Optimist Club, whatever it is. Um, and you just you take a quick two-minute survey of what they're saying. Write all that stuff down. Then, when you're done with the conversation, and they, you've introduced yourself as so-and-so chiropractor, so they, they know that. And you don't end saying, so, you want to come and see me? Right, because that's not a good thing. You're just gonna say, hey, listen, it was really nice meeting you, and um, can I give you a business card, and would you mind if, if you gave me a business card, and is it okay if I invite you to my open house week, or two weeks, or a month, or whatever you wanna do? 
And almost everybody's like, oh yeah, sure, here's my business card, whatever. So now you have a contact. Now, just understand about 10% of people will say, wait a second, so, because you've just talked to them and you're really nice, and they'll say, so you're a chiropractor, huh? Yeah, well, you know, my back is kind of really hurting. And, uh, or my wife's, or my kid, right? They'll start talking about stuff. And then this is, the, this is the key thing. This is what got my patients in the door really, really quickly, is <clears throat> before I started my survey, I found out in the community a place of need. So in other words, I found out through like talking to some local you know, people um, that there were, when I was, first came down here, that in those, there's a very large church near my office, and I found out that someone lost their father, uh, family lost the, the husband, the breadwinner, and the ma- and they had like six kids, and they were, and you know, th- so that, th- and then the house burnt, like all kinds of crazy stuff, bad stuff happened to these poor kids and the family. So they were really living like very, very, you know, having all kinds, and the, the church was raising money for them. And so this is what I did. I said, so as a way of saying thanks so much for, for being so nice to me, we're offering that new patient exam. Normally it's $160. We're offering for $50 if, you, if, you, if you're if you interested. And half of that is going to the XYZ family fund. And they're all like, are you serious? You're supporting the Jimmy John fund? Did you know them? No, I didn't, but I heard that you know, that the dad died and they had all this medical expenses and blah, blah, and this and that and such and such. And I just wanted to be of help. And like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Matter of fact, you can sign me up and my wife. And people came in like crazy because I wasn't just serving myself. I was already serving the community. So that's how I got, you know, people to, to really come in in a big way. Number one. Number two is um, in my office, we don't do, we don't, we, everything's membership based. We don't do anything, you know, per visit, uh, except for like students and, and maybe a few other people who for some crazy reason want to pay full prices. Um, but what I found with membership fees <clears throat> is that um, there's a lot of people out there who will charge, who say kids are free. And to me, it's nothing to do with a kid. It's the, it's the first, per- whoever's the first person the family's going to pay the full normal price and then everybody else will pay a discounted amount after that. So rather than saying, because like if you say kids are free in my office, that'd be 50% of the people in my office is free. That'd be ridiculous, right? So if you say kids are free, what you're really saying is I don't want to take care of kids. That's what that really means. Not if, now some of your associate or peak doctors might do that, so I wouldn't say that to them because if that's what they want to do, that's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no wrong or judgment. I'm judgment free with this kind of stuff. But to me, what it's saying is um, that I don't really, like, to me, kids should be more because it's harder to take care of kids. So I think that's an important thing, too, is make sure that you don't do the kids free thing because that really annoys the heck out of me. It's not wrong, just not great. How do you build a pediatric practice within an established practice? All right, so I kind of answered this before. You ask all the established patients, bring your kids in. Right? I think that's phenomenal. If you're, in a, if you're in an established practice and the place is seeing 200 a week or something like that, that means you've got 200 adults and no kids in the practice. That means you've got probably 400, 600 kids at home. Right? Think about that. And if you ask, let's say you don't get to every, all 300 of these people or 200 of these people, you only ask half of them and only one quarter of them bring their kids in. You've still got 25 kids 
the new kid, uh, kids coming in like this, just by asking. So uh, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Just, just ask the existing people that are there to bring their kids in. <clears throat> when and how would a student know they are ready to open up a practice? What requirements should be figured out before opening? All right, so there, there's, there's no requirements to opening because you can, like myself, open up with absolutely no money. You know, you don't have to wait until, I have to wait till I have $100,000 and I open a practice. When, if you want to open up your own practice, when you, re, like for me, and I learned this the hard way, but for me, I don't work well with someone telling me what to do. <laughs> uh, and if you're that person, then you should not be in someone else's practice. Unless you want to learn from someone who's like a special mentor or has a special technique, you should just go out on your own. Uh, and that's how you know when you're, when you're ready, when you're like, I want to be the boss, right? If you're like, well, I don't know, I want to learn more, right? If you have that feeling. But here's the key thing, like if you, if you want to work for someone, you, very few people work for another chiropractor and really sock away a lot of money. It's good for experience, but it's not good to make money, right? Now, sometimes you get lucky, you get a great exp uh, you know, associate uh, uh, thing, that's awesome. But a lot of times I see with a lot of my interns, they, they kind of bounce in different places because that's not the goal of being an associate. Being a, an associate is being a worker, right? So um, understand that if you really, that if, you, if your goal is to open up your own practice, you have to say, I, I, I am ready to open up my own practice because I don't want to be, I don't want to have someone else telling me what to do and when I can do it. More. Yeah, so if you want to exclusively work for pediatrics, um, you can absolutely do that. It is, I would say if you want to be exclusively pediatric, I would also focus in addition on pregnancy. So I would do pregnancy and pediatrics because they go hand in hand. Uh, and then all the pregnant patients have kids, <laughs> right? So that's, that to me makes it, uh, makes it great. Um, I, it's, it's something that definitely can be done to, but it's, um, It'll take a lot longer, right? The survey thing, the survey, like I spoke to 500 people to get 50 new people in my practice in my first week. And that's the ratio, uh, 500 to 50. Um, so it's like 10%. Um, but if you only want to see kids, it'll take more. So you got to be willing to see a thousand people beforehand, talk to a thousand people to see probably 50 like that. It's just gonna take more work. <clears throat> How do you find an office space? Is you find a place you love. Don't, all, all, don't open anywhere if it's a place you don't love. Like if you're gonna open up a spot, find a place where it makes your heart sing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like by the ocean or you know, on this gorgeous lake or something like that. I don't necessarily mean that. I just mean you're, where you, there's a place you're, you're gonna find, just like my office now, we found that every time we drove by that place, we was like, oh, we feel good right around here. And that's how we decided this was the right spot. Is, is, um, is it made our hearts sing. So that's, that to me is the key. What amount of money do you consider adequate to charge when you're starting a family practice? <clears throat> you know, it really depends on the area. Everything depends on the area. If, you, if you're practicing in New York City in the middle of you know, by Central Park, uh, you'll be charging a whole lot more money for an adjustment or for a monthly plan than you would if you're in the middle of you know, some rural area. So everything really depends on that area. I would say you need to find out from uh, each 
from like look, look at local docs and seeing what they're paying. If you just call up and ask and just pretend you're, you're an interested patient and find out what, what the average is and that's how you kind of figure out <clears throat> what your amount you know, should be. If you go back to your first year of practice, what is the one thing you would apply from what you have learned after 20, 30 years of practice? Hmm. You know, it's hard to say, that's a great question, and the answer is um, focus more on kids. Because uh, in, in the beginning, I was much more focused on sports. Uh, not that it was bad or wrong, but I, I wish I'd spent that time really honing my skills on kids and paying attention to what Dr. Webster kept on telling me I should be doing. And it, he, he was telling me I should be taking care of kids for like five years until I really started focusing on kids. Um, and I wish that I had listened to that earlier because then I'd, I'd have five more years of like full on pediatric experience. But um, anyway, this was great. I went through all the questions. I'm super excited. Thank you guys so much. This was a great quarter and I hope to see you guys in seminars and other places. And congratulations to our graduates.